Christian journey is like a mountain climb with Jesus as our mountain guide leading the way. It can be difficult. We are called to follow Jesus and live in accordance with his ways, but his ways may be counter to our natural instincts or cultural norms. The only way to reach the summit is to stay connected to Jesus. Prayer is our primary way of staying connected to him, but sometimes we may not know how to pray or even what to say. Just as a novice climber may ask a seasoned guide for help navigating the mountain, Jesus' disciples, who were more familiar with prayer than we are, asked him to teach them how to pray. What we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' response, offering us a pattern to follow in our own prayers. But the prayer itself is also powerful and can help us on our journey. For the first six weeks, we have, phrase by phrase, sought to understand the magnitude and meaning of the prayer. Last week, we explored the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Danya invited us to focus on the primacy of God as the one who provides life, sustenance, and boundaries for godly living. God's inheritance is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead so that you and I can have life and have abundance. And the abundance that is found in Him is not the same as what the world tells us it is. Today, the prayer gets very real and personal. Jesus instructs us to pray regularly for forgiveness and pray that we would forgive others. Let's continue our ascent and say, Lord, help us on this climb and teach us to pray. Good morning. I'm Isaac. I'm the lead pastor. I'm so glad that you are here today on what I feel is a very important morning as we're talking about forgiveness. It's a teaching handout in your, uh, the worship guide that you were given that will help you today. We have like four left. If you didn't get one and you want one, put your hand up first because there's only a few left. All right, Trevor's coming and a few lucky one of you's, one of you's, <laughs> ones of you. <laughs> I don't know grammar. <laughs> we'll get that. Okay, oh, Alan's coming too. Okay, there's a few. Maybe it's going to be like the feeding of the 5,000, and we only had a few, but everybody, everybody got some. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the service, I have five books that I'm going to mention this book today, and I'd like to give them away to people that feel that they need them. So there's obviously more than five people here, so be praying about that maybe, I guess. Lord, multiply. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'll reference this book. Let's stand together. You read the words in yellow. I'll read the references and the words in white. Psalm 103, 2 through 3 and verse 12. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. 
Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Today, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Being a part of the forgiven, that's one label that we could give the Christian community. We are the forgiven, is really the essence of the Christian message. Jesus walked around healing people, but also he did this audacious thing of forgiving people their sins. Even when Jesus would meet somebody who had an obvious physical ailment, we have a couple of accounts where the first thing Jesus says to them is, your sins are forgiven before he heals them. And we praise God for this. We revel in this. We receive from this the essence of the Christian message. Now, as your pastor, and as I've been a pastor for a long time, and a human being living within our culture, it seems to me that it is somewhat simple for modern-day people to accept forgiveness from God. In our day, I think, we struggle with the idea that we are actually accountable to God and therefore need his forgiveness. As such, I think we tend to take God's forgiveness for granted or maybe also don't understand the seriousness of our sinfulness. So the first part of this line in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses in our day and age that we are living in may be the easier part of the prayer. But it gets a little more real. And this is where I've met you and listened to you and heard you and your pain. The more difficult part of the prayer, forgive those as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is probably the more difficult part of the prayer. While we may not easily understand how our sins affect God or how they are important to God, we sure do understand how others' sins affect us. By show of hands, who has experienced being hurt or betrayed or frustrated or let down or embarrassed by someone over the last week? Yep. Okay, yeah, um, uh, I feel like sinning against some of you just so you can be in the sermon too because you didn't raise your hand, <laughs> but I'll resist the temptation. I bet most of us have. We sin against each other in our actions. We take more than we should. <clears throat> Excuse me. You steal. Some of us, you know, we foster these secret relationships with a coworker or a long-last friend. Whoops, I mean, you commit adultery. We sin with our words. We chat caringly about somebody behind their back. Oops, I mean, we gossip. We feel very free to share all of our feelings or how we think about or feel about anything that comes up at any time. Whoops. I mean, we complain. 
We also sin with our inactions. Some examples. Not expressing gratitude to those who help you or serve you. When you pick up your kids today from kids ministry, don't sin. <laughs> Maybe some other inaction, not initiating in relationships, not speaking up when you know something is wrong, not offering to help when someone needs it, not keeping promises, not spending quality time with family or friends, not reaching out to those in need. The theological phrase is these are sins of omission. They're the things that are like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. No, the, no, no, just let me help you with the phrase. You didn't do anything. That's the phrase. We hurt each other, and we've also been hurt. When I was 11 years old, I was taken advantage of by an older boy. I felt shame and embarrassment, and I did not tell anyone what had taken place until I was a young adult. The older boy should have protected me, but he hurt me. He should have introduced me to a pure way, but he defiled me. Now, I've been a victim, but I've also sinned against others. While managing a gas station in my early 20s, I stole some energy pills. I did this for a couple of weeks. Years later, the Lord convicted me. I went back to that boss, confessed, and repaid him. I know what guilt and shame feels like as a victim and as someone who has sinned. Desmond Tutu, in this great book that you might get on the way out today, <laughs> he says, no person will always stand in the camp of the perpetrator, the one who has sinned. No person will always be the one who is the victim. In some situations, we have been harmed, and in others, we have harmed. We need forgiveness, and we need to forgive Desmond Tutu was a South African or Anglican cleric and theologian. He rose to international fame during the 1980s as an oppo opponent of apartheid. He was the first black South African archbishop of Cape Town and was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his work as a leader in the fight against racial inequality. And then the rest of his life was spent teaching people about reconciliation. And he and his daughter wrote this tremendous book, The Book of Forgiving, The Fourfold Path of Forgiveness. And he outlines four steps in this book. In order to move towards forgiving and experiencing forgiveness, we have to tell the story about what has taken place. Number two, we have to name the hurt. Number three, we grant forgiveness after step one and two. And then number four, we work towards restoring or releasing the relationship. And as I've thought about this and been praying about this over the last couple of weeks, I would like to suggest that God has modeled, God himself has modeled that process with us. And then invites us into that epic story of forgiveness and perhaps even 
reconciliation. And I'd like to spend the first part of this message before you text in some of your responses this morning. I'd like to spend the first part outlining how God has walked those four steps. Number one, God has told the story of the hurt incurred against him by his creation. The scriptures are the factual account of how mankind has broken God's heart and how we've rejected him. We're going to read out of Genesis 3. And I'd like you to think of like, like God is, this is his story that he's telling to us. And it's, and I, do, I don't mean at all to be flip at all, but it's, it's like, you think of that being like in a therapy session. And God is confessing what has happened. He's saying what has happened. He's telling the story. And so I'm going to change some of the language here to help you feel that. This is God speaking. He says, you know, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man I created and his wife, they heard me walking about in the garden, but they hid from me among the trees. And then I, I realized something was wrong. Something was terribly wrong. And so I called to the man and I said, where are you? Because I love my creation. Where are you? What have you done? And I heard him walking in the garden. And so I, no, he replied to me. He said, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hit and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I told him, wait a second. Who told you you were naked? Who gave you this information? What have you done? And so I asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God tells the story. God has told us the truth. It is so vulnerable to tell the truth. Consider this. The Bible is the account of how God's own creation left him, rejected him, defiled the good world that he has made. And I, what a courageous, courageous God to be honest about what has taken place, to risk the shame of anyone who would hear the testimony. The Bible, the Bible is not a PR campaign. It tells us the truth of how we've broken God's heart. Number two, God names the hurt. And we see this in several places where God is so, we are like him. And so the emotions that he experiences, the disappointment and the frustration. And here in the beginning of Isaiah, God names the hurt. Oh, listen, oh heavens, pay attention. Or this is what the Lord said. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know its master. Many people don't recognize my care for them, God says. Oh, what a sinful nation, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are an evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They turn their backs on him. He's naming the hurt, and he says, even a dumb ox, a stupid ass, is doing better than the pinnacle of my creation. 
He's naming the hurt. But God telling the story and naming the hurt moved to a place over and over culminating in his own death identifying fully with our shame by dying on the cross that he granted forgiveness. And this is where we started the message. This is something that's become so familiar to us that we're forgiven by God in Christ. Paul writes in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we were rejecting him, why we were causing shame, why we were hurting him, why we were running away from him, he demonstrated that I will love you to the very end, all the way even through death. I love you this much so I can extend forgiveness to you. God granted forgiveness, and as such, he is ready Number four, to restore relationship or to release it. And as I made this connection in my mind this week, I realized, oh my gosh. I'll explain. Paul writes to first in Timothy, to Timothy, he says, for this one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, he gave his life to purchase our freedom for everyone. So the mediator, Jesus Christ, is, is now bridges the gap and, and now we can be in relationship fully with God. Jesus Christ stands ready with open arms to be reconciled. We've run, but he stands at the ready for us to run to him. He moves towards us. He wants to renew the relationship, but just as it was true with Adam and Eve, that God created them with a choice, God will not force you to reconcile with him. He's done everything needed for reconciliation, but also releases you in love. God has walked these steps. He told the story. He named the hurt. He grants forgiveness. And he's ready and able to restore the relationship or to release it. I want to hear from you. Regularly here, we give opportunity in the middle of our messages to give feedback. And we do this through a text message, which that will come up on the screen. There's the number there, and there's a couple of questions that I want you to respond to, and you'll have a few minutes to respond. And I recognize that a few minutes is not long enough for everyone, but often we get uh, many responses. And so, but as I've opened up this big idea and then showed how God has moved towards through these processes, I want to hear from you. On the topics of forgiveness from God or for others, what conflict emerges within you? What do you feel like pushback? Or maybe some of you are going to disclose the very thing that you, doggone it, can't forgive. What is the spirit disrupting within you? Or what about our talk so far has confirmed what is in your heart and in your mind? After I hear from some of you, we'll read some to the room. So if you don't want yours read, just write private beforehand. Um, but I'll read some back to the room so that we can get a sense of what God is doing among us and how he's uh, speaking to us. And then we'll finish the message and move towards being people of forgiveness. Okay, you have three minutes. Ready? Go. 
Thank you for all of your feedback. There's a ton here. Like my iPad's gonna blow up. There. <laughs> I keep coming in. Okay. I'm gonna start with some conflict. I'm just gonna read a couple and maybe summarize, and then I will summarize some of both conflict and the confirming. Here's a conflict. I have forgiven a long time offender but does the pain of that betrayal ever go away? Yeah, you hear the murmurs of agreement. <clears throat> Several people are on that note are talking about the, the emotions of forgiveness, struggling even if you receive forgiveness from God that there's still an emotional question maybe and maybe an anxiety, and somebody said that's the same between, like in forgiveness with other people too, there's an uncertainty about that. Somebody simply wrote, forgiving family for hurt and breaking trust. This is a conflict. Ooh, here's one. Wow. I am challenged in a situation where another person and I have, create, have different stories we've created around the pain, which makes forgiveness challenging. But believing and praying God's grace can guide us through it. Oh, it's messy, isn't it? It's not hard to imagine why courtrooms were created. Discern what is going on. Hmm. I, thank you. I'm going to read this one. A sin was committed against me when I was a child. I have forgiven the person for the action, but that sin against me has caused me to sin myself over and over. I find myself unable to forgive this person for causing me to sin because I feel that my relationship with God is harmed by an action committed against me that I had no control over. How do you forgive someone for something that causes you to sin and work through your own sin, uh, work out your own sin and forgive? Conflict, I know that God has forgiven me completely. There are times where I struggle to forgive myself and receive the forgiveness that God gives. Conflict, I have been hurt by almost everyone in my life, from family to friends. It is incredibly hard to forgive when it happens so much. That hurt is all I know. How can you forgive when being hurt is your way of life? conflict, forgiveness is exponentially more difficult for me when I'm in the midst of pain or heartache or harm than in the aftermath. In the aftermath, I typically have had time to reflect and release, but in the middle of it, I struggle. 
How do I forgive the person who abused me as a child? It doesn't seem possible to forgive that sin. How does God continually forgive us even as we continue to trespass against him daily or weekly? It seems like an unfair mediated deal between us and God. That's true. Conflict, I'm battling between wanting a willingness to forgive the sinful person and a desire to punish the perpetrator for what they've done. Part of me feels like if I forgive them, they will feel free to do it again. If I hold a grudge, they will somehow feel so bad about what they've done that they'll change their ways. That's like human behavior, I think. What can be difficult is when people do not own their hurtful ways or reframe or say, I didn't mean to. How do we forgive when others can't see? We need to learn the art of true confession. Okay, there's like, I think, a thousand more, so. (laughs) Obviously, this is a very difficult and important dynamic. Okay, some confirming thoughts. Here's one. Before regularly attending church, which started with New Hope, I would harbor lists of things others had done or said against me especially in my closest relationships. It was through God and the regular rhythms of worship and community where I learned to forgive. I feel so much lighter not carrying around so much resentment in my daily life. And I am no longer so angry. Praise God. I like that, the rhythm of worship and community where you learn to forgive. Here's confirming thought. I thought when I had forgiven someone who had hurt me deeply that I needed to continue with some sort of relationship with them. I learned that I could forgive and release that relationship. That has helped me in my forgiving them. Yeah, we'll go back through some of that. Okay. Confirming God has reminded me through this sermon that forgiveness also includes forgetting, forgiving oneself. It can be so difficult to let go of shame or self-loathing from past actions, but in order to fully receive God's grace, we have to extend that grace to how we treat and talk to ourselves. That's really good. Okay. Okay. I have my work cut out for you responding to you this week. It's really great. It's the kind of work that I would love to do. Okay. In summary, forgiveness is hard. It's very complex. It's messy. It includes being able to forgive ourselves. Um, It is a relational dynamic in which we cannot control the other party. And so how do we move through when people are not in unity together? Um, Dynamic and important questions and difficulties. Also, we are saying over and over in these comments here that there is a freedom that comes in learning forgiveness and not harboring things and hanging on to things. So I think all of us would want to be at a a place where these things that might entangle us or weigh us down 
may no longer in the way that they used to. And I think this is an important component about what God is doing and why I just feel like the gravity of the moments and even how we'll respond in a few moments to mark the significance of this. Because I believe that God does not want his children to walk with the chains of resentment. Does not want his children to walk in the restraint of somebody else's action against us. But as James said this morning, in where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I think he wants to free us. So I'd like to go back through those steps of forgiveness and give some further thought and encourage you on your journey of receiving forgiveness and then lavishly and radically being able to extend forgiveness. We tell the story. And I want this to be really clear about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is not denial or cover-up. Forgiveness is not just overlooking sin. It certainly does not include the words, it's fine. That is not what moves us towards forgiveness and therefore freedom. Rather, we have been hurt and we have to be able to articulate those stories, to tell the story. We have hurt others and need forgiveness. We need safe people that we can tell that story to. We need to be able to be honest about that, transparent. Remember, God told the truth. He tells the truth to his own shame. This is his creation that managed to totally defile him and continues to. When we tell the facts about what has happened to us, we are more and more likely able to be healed. Christians should be the most truthful people in the world, not just so that we don't immoral, like just so you don't like lie and, and sin because you lie, but because you have every means to tell the actual truth because you live in grace. Number two, we name the hurt. It is courageous to move into naming how we have been hurt. And again, this book is so helpful. I appreciate there's several prayers that leads you through. Naming the hurt helps us to identify how the hurt is actually teaching us. The prayer in here, I'll read a part of it around naming the hurt. It's on the screen here about naming our hurt. The hurt says to us, meet me here. Speak my name. I am not your enemy. I am your teacher. I may even be your friend. Let us tell our truth together, you and I. My name is anger. I say that you have been wronged. My name is shame. My story is your hidden pain. My name is fear. My story is vulnerability. My name is resentment. I say things should have been different. My name is grief. My name is depression. My name is heartache. My name is anxiety. I, hurt, have many names and many lessons. I am not your enemy. I'm your teacher. Our pain, as we name it, helps us to articulate how we need to be healed so that we can move towards granting forgiveness. And many of you, like even in your text messages, you, you are doing that. Others of you, 
it, you're healed not just by hearing about forgiveness, but you're, you're healed and moved towards as you hear other people tell their stories and there's a freedom to say, this is how I've been hurt or this is how I've hurt others. And in that freedom, there's a context in which we start to name it and we don't normalize it as in make it be okay, but we do relativize it in the midst of community and learn safe to tell the things that we feel like are to our shame, but they are actually to our healing. Hurt clues us in to how God wants to heal us. Number three, after we've moved through telling the story, naming the hurt, we move towards granting forgiveness. Paul writes this in Ephesians, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And this can extend to even the most audacious of sins done against us. This last week in Alpha, Nikki Gumbel emphasized that we can only forgive in the power of God's love. And he told the story of Corey Tinboom, um, who was sent to a concentration camp. And I'm just going to let Nikki and Corey tell the rest of the story. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister Betsy died there. She's an amazing woman and after the war she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time and at the end of her talk she recognized the man coming up to her and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then. And as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew, she recognized him. She could see him, and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him but I was not able I could not I could only hate him and then I said thank you Jesus that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me and thank you Father that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness that same moment I was free and I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can.
It's only after we come to that point of allowing God's audacious, massive love to move us towards forgiving that we can restore or release the relationship. We cannot control others. We cannot require them to reconcile, to be honest even about their mistakes or their sins against us. Others have died that we need to forgive. They're unwilling. At that point, we will release the relationship. But there is opportunity for reconciliation in Christ. The last church I pastored at, there was a woman in our congregation and another woman. And one woman had cheated on the other woman's uh, with uh, the other woman's husband. Major brokenness and sin. There was a season in that church where every Sunday after church, they would sit and weep together, united in Christ and healing and moving towards forgiveness. It's incredible. Stanley Harawas writes this. Just listen to this. And this high call of forgiveness where we must forgive in order to be forgiven. He writes this, Jesus is refusing, refusing to let sin have the last word in our story. In commanding us to forgive, Jesus is not producing a race of doormats, a new set of victims who, having been slapped on the right cheek, offer the left as well so that they may be twice victimized. Jesus has no interest in producing victims. The world produces enough. It's actually in forgiveness that we overcome our victimhood. That older boy who had victimized me, in my early 30s, we unexpectedly crossed paths. Because I had told the story in safe community. Because I had named the hurt and forgave him in my heart, I greeted him. I kid you not, this is not me. With a hug and a smile. Now, when I say that, I'm not giving you some template that says that you have to go to your, the person who sexually abused you and hug them. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am testifying to is the grace of God, the love of God that penetrates so deep that my deepest desire is to be a conduit of grace and love to every person that I meet. I would ask you to audaciously believe for that, to be fully healed, immersed in God's love. It's God's love in me. I too have been forgiven much. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. I'd like you to just be courageous for a moment. If you recognize that you need forgiveness or that you need to forgive others 
something has come to your heart or your mind today, would you courageously raise your hand? Yeah. I'm gonna ask us more than to raise our hand. I'm gonna ask us to physically respond this morning. I believe that God wants to share his love with us and to remind us that it's not our power, that it's his power, to remind us that we can go away even like this new intention, like today I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do it. I am going to do it. And God, before you leave, he wants to say, whoa, whoa, I've done it. And I need you to rest in my love. I need you to be filled with me so that you have something to give. Don't you dare do it on your own.